Okay. Well, this evening, I want to talk with you about parenting and grandparenting through spiritual struggle. Parenting and grandparenting through spiritual struggle, especially when one of our kids or grandkids becomes spiritually apathetic, spiritually disinterested, spiritually cold. Now, this can happen at age 10. This can happen at age 30. Uh, the favorite word of a young person who is spiritually apathetic is whatever. And they can apply whatever to whatever in their lives. Um, but, you know, you might even come across some of it this week. You may reconnect with a high tider tonight and you may say, hey, how was high tide? You be the high tider. Hey, how was high tide? What'd you learn? <laughs> right? How was it? Fine. What'd you learn? Stuff. Okay. And you get the, you get the sense they're just kind of bristling under the interrogation. After all, those are some pretty crazy questions you're asking, right? How was high tide? What did you learn? It's really out of control. Parenting, right? But no, all we're doing is we're trying to, to create a little touch point. But sometimes you see a young person, uh, become, again, spiritually disinterested or keeping you at arm's distance. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, uh, common reasons why young people become spiritually apathetic and what we can do to help. First thing I want to do is I want to try to set realistic expectations for spiritual growth. A fair amount of what I'm going to talk about tonight, uh, would be teen stuff, so 10 to 20 in that broad range. But some of the principles are going to apply definitely to younger children and very much so to adult children. How many of you have any of those? Who has adult children? All right. Wow. God bless you. Parenting does not end, does it? No, it does not. Okay. But let me show you my expectations, okay? My expectations for my children's growth from 10 to 20. Little graph here down at the bottom. If you can see, there's the ages, 10 to 19. And on the left, this, uh, these numbers of spiritual growth. I expect every year they're going to get a little more mature. They're going to get a little more godly. They're going to get a little bit more responsible. They're going to become more, uh, more honoring of me and loving of their siblings year after year after year, month after month after month. That is my expectation. Now, I'd like for you to roll back the clock in your life from 10 to 20, and I want you to raise your hand if this was your graph. Nobody out there, right? You're like, no, that pretty much was not me. I did not, I did not do it like that. Now, let me show you another graph. This, uh, if, if each one of my kids could have a growth graph like this, I would be thrilled. Now, what's the first thing you notice about this graph compared to the other one? Yeah, lots of ups and downs, right? I mean, if you, I know you're kind of far away, you know, from ages 14 to 15 here, it was kind of a decline year, not, not so good. But then we had a turnaround at 15 and 15 to 16 was a, was a growth year. So we've got a lot of good and a lot of bad mixed in. But why would I say that this would be a great growth curve for my kids? What, what is, what do you notice about it big picture? Yeah, the trajectory is growing up. If God would be so good to give them that growth curve in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s until they go home to heaven or Jesus comes back, we would have what the Bible calls sanctification, right? That, that slowly but surely, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, they would be growing more and more like Christ. Now, my message with this graph is not to say, let's say you have a child or grandchild in one of those down times. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. Everything will turn out fine. 
that's not the message tonight. The message is that when we have a child in a difficult period, it really is an urgent window of our parenting and our grandparenting. Uh, because, see those down lines? Satan and the demons want those down lines to continue all the way down into some epic crashes. And what we're praying for, what we're asking God to do is, you see those, those the down points like the, the Vs, the bottom of the Vs, those are the turnaround moments, aren't they? Those are the moments where God gets a hold of the child's heart, turns their heart more to the Lord, turns their heart more to us. So what I want to do is I want to share with you five common reasons for spiritual apathy in kids. Five common reasons for spiritual apathy in kids. Number one, I'll go through them and then I'll read, uh, we'll talk about each one. That the parent's heart is not turned to the teenager or the child. Number two, the teenager's heart is not turned to the parent. Number three, the presence of secret sin. Number four, a lack of spiritual nourishment. And number five, a spirit of rebellion. Now, I'm giving you the quick version of what Amy and I put together in this book, Five Reasons. We won an award for this. Five Reasons for Spiritual Apathy in Teens and What Parents Can Do to Help. Longest title. We won that. We were really proud of that. Um, Does anyone want this copy? I'm giving that. Okay, right down here. Yeah, okay, good luck. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel good. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. Threw it at your wife there. I'm really sorry. Thank you. It's a good catch. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, where are we at? Let, let's talk about each one of these. Let's talk about this first one. Uh, the parent's heart, and I'm going to do these uh, quickly. The parent's heart is not turned to the teenager. We touched on this a little bit this morning, but a lot of kids are spiritually apathetic and spiritually disinterested because their parents and grandparents have delegated their spiritual training to other people. They've delegated it to the Sunday school, the youth group, the one some the one week of the summer at Gull Lake, as wonderful as the spiritual encouragement is here, they, they just drive the minivan and drop their kids off at all the experts. They drop them off at basketball and they drop them off at violin and they drop them off at church. They've delegated the spiritual training of their kids. And as I shared with you this morning, that that was me. I had I was checked out of any kind of intentional spiritual training of my children in the home. This morning I shared with you Deuteronomy chapter six, this call right after the great commandment to love God, this call to help our children love God, and this call to begin that process about uh, of helping our kids follow God by talking about the Lord when we sit at home. The scriptures I wanna focus on tonight, the, the, the texts that specifically deal with this principle. I'm saying the parent's heart is not turned to the child. That comes from Malachi 4 and Luke 1. Malachi 4 is the end of the Old Testament, 400 BC, very last words of the Bible there. If you're a Jewish person, the next thing you have is maps, okay? Uh, There is no New Testament. Uh, This is the end of the Old Testament, 400 BC, and Luke 1 are, are the first words of the New Testament. You're like, I thought it was Matthew 1. Hang on, I'll explain that to you in just a second. But let me show you the very last words of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 4 to 6. God says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and laws I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'll send you the prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The end. Okay. 
this begs for something more, okay? God says that the Holy Spirit's going to work in such a way is that the hearts of fathers are going to turn to their kids and hearts of kids are going to turn to their fathers. And in fact, this turning of the hearts is actually connected to God's blessings for his people. Okay, 400 years later, the next time God speaks the words of Scripture, okay, is through the angel Gabriel speaking to an old man named Zechariah who's married to Elizabeth who's pregnant with John the Baptist, okay? Now, I know Matthew's the first book in your Bible. If you flip the next page, you get to Matthew. But the next time God speaks the words of Scripture from Malachi 4 is when the angel Gabriel announces to Zechariah about John growing in his wife's womb. So, look, uh, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. 400 years later, this is what God says next. And he, John the Baptist, growing in your wife's wife's womb, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before him, Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Sound familiar? God's just picking up right where he left off in Malachi 4, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. If you've grown up around church, you know that God sent John to get the hearts of the people ready for Jesus. He did it two ways, but really we only talk about one of them. One way he did it is he pleaded with people to repent, turn from disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. The other way he did it, according to the prophecy in Malachi and the angelic announcement, is he pleaded with fathers to turn their hearts to their children. Now, what does that have to do with getting people ready for Jesus? The first one, repent, humble yourself before God. That one makes sense. But what about this one? Here's what it has to do with. See, when the hearts of parents are turned to their kids and the hearts of kids are turned to their parents, then everybody's heart's soft toward Father God, seeking to express his love for us through his son, Jesus. But when the hearts of parents are hard to the kids, hearts of kids hard to the parents, everybody's heart's also hard toward whom? Father God, seeking to express his love for us through his son, Jesus. So one of the demonic attacks against the family is the hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart from the parent to the child and from the child to the parent. How many of you want the hearts of your children prepared for Messiah? All right, me too. So ask God to turn your heart to them. Ask God to make it the number one mission of your life to help your children safely home to their father in heaven. Some action steps on this. Some honest self-assessment. Honest self-assessment. Asking God, God, is my heart fully engaged in this mission of spiritually caring for my child? Or have I been more concerned about their body than I have been their soul? Or more concerned about their brain than I have been their spirit? Or have I been delegating their spiritual training to other people? And if you feel just like I had to do and have had to continue to do, unfortunately, that your heart has not been with your primary mission of your kids, you just confess that to the Lord, you repent to him, you ask God to turn your heart to your children, you may have to repent to your family, confess to your family, hey, I've been out of whack, upside down and backwards in my priorities, and I've asked God to turn my heart to you. Let's talk about this next one. Sometimes teenagers are apathetic spiritually because the teenager's heart is not turned to the parent. So in this case, you've got a parent or a grandparent whose heart is with the child, 
the grandchild, but the child or grandchild has taken their heart away from them. Look at this scripture with me in Proverbs chapter 23. This is Solomon writing to a son. He says, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. A lot of our ministry is with parents of prodigals, parents who have adult children, and those adult children are now far from God. The, the whole set of resources on our table called Never Too Late is, is for you. But one of the consistent stories that we hear from parents of prodigals is they tell us about a time that they remember that their teenager or their young adult uh, took their heart away from them. Now, they might not use that Psalm 23 language or Proverbs 23 language. But um, th th I remember a time my daughter started putting walls up. She didn't want to talk to me. One word answer. She started lying. She just said, I don't want to talk to you about that. The, the, the withdrawal of the heart. Have you ever um, been talking to uh, a teenager or an older child and you feel like you're talking to the wall? Raise your hand if you ever had that feeling. Why do you feel like you're talking to the wall? It's not a trick question. Because you are talking to the wall. Like, you know, your little spider sense of, I don't think I'm getting through here. Ding, 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 ding. You're not, right? You're not getting through. Okay, because e even though you may have their, their face, which you probably don't, you probably have something like this, okay? Um, the, the words may be going into the ear, but they're certainly not going into the heart. I was talking with a 21-year-old uh, young man. And uh, he said to me, my dad wants to take me out to breakfast tomorrow morning because he wants to have a conversation. Now, when my dad says he wants to have a conversation, what he means is he's going to lecture me for an hour about all the problems in my life. So he's going to go out to breakfast with his dad. He said, yes, he's going to go. How open is he to receiving? Maybe dad's got good counsel for him. I don't know. How open is he to receiving anything good that might come from dad? He, he's not. He's on whatever mode because for this father, a conversation's not a conversation conversation is a one-way lecture. So what can we do if we start to see this happening? The, the bristliness, the one-word answers, the keeping you at arm's distance. Number one, uh, ask for their heart. Uh, Amy does a great job with this. She'll be talking to one of our daughters, getting the sense that one of our daughters is a little bristly, annoyed, irritated, not wanting to talk. And Amy will say, uh, Millie, uh, right now I feel like you're pushing me away and not wanting to talk to me, will you give me your heart and be open with me right now? Now, I don't, sometimes Millie's going to respond well, sometimes she's not, but it's a very direct way. I'm, I'm a big believer in knocking the front door first, right? That's the front door. Let's just knock. Now, listen, you've got an 18 year old. You're going to go home tonight. Give me your heart, my son. Okay. That's just creepy. Okay. They, <laughs> we've we've done this some in our house now so our kids know this phrase they know what this word means so just don't just throw this at them just you might have to explain it uh explain it a little bit another one uh, just talk openly about the issue this one sounds like this hey i want to talk to you about something uh, it's a little awkward but you know it seems like whenever i try to bring up like personal things with you or spiritual things with you that I don't know, you get annoyed, then I get annoyed, then you get mad, then I get mad, and we, it all goes bad. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to fix it. I, I just wish things were better with us. I wish we could talk about important things together. Now, you notice I didn't fix anything there, did I? All I did is offer my heart 
to say, hey, I know things with us are a little tense when we talk about personal things or faith things or spiritual things. And, and I, from my side of the chasm, I wish things were better. I don't know what your son or daughter is going to say. Well, sorry, you feel like that, Dad. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Great talk, son. Try again later. Uh, but, but you're extending your heart in hopes that they'll extend theirs. Another one. Ask them, your child if you've done anything to hurt them. Sometimes our kids keep us at arm length because we've hurt them. I, uh, my son, JD, uh, I share this with uh, permission. He was 13, 14 years old, going through a, a kind of a long stretch where he, when I was around, he obviously didn't want me around. I could tell that he was annoyed and bristly with, with me. And I'm like, hey, I wrote a book on this. I'm going to do what the book says. It's that pathetic in our house sometimes, honestly. Um, we, we've got the visionary parenting book that's over there is a second edition, revised and expanded. So what you have to do when you revise and expand a book is you start with your first book, right? Because you're going to read your first book and revise it and expand it. So Amy and I are reading this. I'm like, honey, this is good stuff. We should be doing this. This is really, yeah. Okay. What am I talking about? Oh, yeah. So I go to my son uh, and I say, hey, have I done anything to hurt you? Because like when I'm around, you kind of act like you don't want me around. He said, no, dad, you're a perfect father. You've never hurt me. Thanks, son. Um, no, he actually didn't say that. What he said is, yeah, there is something. I'm like, whoa, okay, well, tell me. He's like, all right, when you talk to me, you talk to me more like my little brother, Ray, and I want you to talk to me more like my big brother, R.W., See, RW is late high school, Ray is elementary school, right? And he's 13, 14, right in that transition. And I said, okay, give me some examples of what you're talking about. So he gave me some examples of how I talked to him kind of little kitty, right? Talked to him more like an elementary school student rather than a junior high, soon to be high school student. And you know what? He was absolutely right. Absolutely right. I was disrespecting him. I was exasperating him. I wasn't making the transition with him through the different stages he was going through. And that exasperation was arousing this anger and bitterness in his heart toward me. So I, I told him he was right. I asked for his forgiveness. He forgave me. And I said, now, listen, I, I've got this blind spot. Obviously, I don't mean to do this, but I'm doing it. So you got to help me. So next time I do it, I'm really going to try not to. But next time I do it, help me, you know, respectfully. Hey, dad, you're doing it again or something like that so that we can make this shift. Another one, more listening, less talking. Anybody ever have a child say, you don't understand me? You ever hear that? That's your cue to stop talking. It's your cue to ask them to start talking. And this next one is huge, absolutely huge to affirm honesty. Affirm honesty. Let's say, uh, I'll give you a hypothetical. I pray it never uh, happens. Let's say that one of my kids comes home from college. And they say, Dad, tough conversation, but here we go. I know you raised me with all that Jesus stuff and church stuff and Bible stuff, but I just don't, I don't believe it anymore. You know, I, I've studied uh, philosophy now. I've studied evolution now. I've had this experience, that experience. And look, I, I know it's not going to make you happy, but, but that's, that's where I'm at. Now, that would obviously be a nuclear bomb that would go off for dad, okay? And it'd be like, wah, 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 well, ask for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. Um, you know, I'm freaking out here. <laughs> and, and what they said was very difficult to hear, very painful. Again, DEFCON 5, nuclear blast. But there's one good thing that happened 
And what's the one good thing that happened? They were honest. My son or my daughter gave me her heart. And she didn't have to do it, did she? She could have just kept playing the church game, could have just kept coming to church, using Christian talk. May, the, the worst case scenario would be a child who is, who is uh, leaving their faith in God behind and pretending with you they're not. Worst case scenario, because you have no clue what's even going on. So we've got to retrain ourselves. Listen, retrain ourselves, retrain ourselves, retrain ourselves. That finally, when a child who's struggling opens up, and if a child who's struggling opens up, struggle is going to come out. That's why they're struggling, you understand? Struggle is going to come out. So we're going to retrain ourselves before we freak out, I mean, freak out later, before we freak out, thank you, thank you, thank you for telling me that. It took a lot of courage for you to be honest with me. Thank you. Now, can you keep talking? Because I really want to understand. You obviously didn't come to this decision yesterday. This has been growing for a long time. Can you just go on a, uh, go on a rant, go on a ramble, just, just talk. I just want to listen and understand. Jackpot. All that stuff, okay, is what I need to hear. All that stuff is what I need to understand so I can better pray and I can better parent. Third common area uh, of why kids are spiritually struggling, spiritually apathetic, and it is the presence of secret sin. The presence of secret sin. Sin always wants to hide. Sin always thrives in darkness. And whenever there's secret sin, it acts like a cancer in the body. Cancer starts in secret. You don't even know you, you have it most of the time at first, and it's starting to destroy different systems and organs of, uh, of the body. Now, uh, you may be like, okay, Rob, I, I know you've got common reasons for spiritual apathy in kids, and secret sin is one of them, but that's not my kid's problem, so go on to number four. Uh, how many of you, when you were growing up, were pretty good kids? You're not, no, you're not tooting your own horn. You're just like, yeah, that's a pretty good kid growing up. Put your hands up for me out there. Okay, some people are like, I was not a good kid. All right, uh, all right so those of you with your hands up, put them up really high again because I'm doing a survey. Pretty good kids. Wow. Very arrogant people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I said not prideful. Now, those of you who are pretty good kids, that was a lot of you. Uh, how many of you had some, some stuff going on in your heart and your mind and your life wasn't so holy, wasn't so righteous, wasn't so good, and your parents didn't really know about it? Put your hand up for me if you had it. Holy cow. Wow. Okay. So I, that's a quick survey. I'm going to say 100% of you pretty good kids said, yeah, I had some stuff going on. wasn't so good. Parents were clueless. How many of you, your children are pretty good kids? Put your hand up for me if you think your own children and grandchildren are pretty good kids. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, hypothetically then, if 100% of you pretty good kids had some secret issues, secret problems your parents were clueless about. What percentage of your kids might have some secret struggles that you're clueless about? Give me a number. What percentage? No, not zero. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Why is it? Because they're little sinners, right? And little sinners and big sinners need to hide sin. That's the way it works. It thrives in the darkness. They're not watching porn on the living room TV, okay? It's in a dark place of the house. You remember, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember? Eve eats the fruit. She gives it to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. God comes looking for Adam. Hey, Adam, did you eat the fruit? The woman you gave to me, she ate the fruit. She gave it to me. 
and I ate it. So by point five, finally, Adam answers the question of, did you eat the fruit after blaming right, God and the woman and everybody, everybody else? So your kids are going to come by this very honestly, and you'll see it at the, the earliest of ages. You see a little uh, three-year-old who uh, uh, took an extra piece of dessert or ate something from the cabinet that they shouldn't eat. Did you steal a cookie? Right, they're shaking, okay? All they have to do is say yes, right? But just like the, the acknowledgement, the public confession of the sin uh, is this overwhelming task. So uh, what can we do? Uh, presence, uh, I, there's some common ones. Sexual sin is a very common one. Uh, drugs and alcohol, another common one. Bitterness and unforgiveness, uh, another very, very common one. One of the things that we can do as parents on this is to um, every now and then, this would not be daily, but every now and then you just ask your kids a direct question. Hey, do you have any secret struggles that you haven't shared with me? Do you have any sin in your life that's in darkness right now? Maybe it's starting to get a hold of you that you haven't talked to me about. Amy's got this great phrase that she uses with our kids. She'll say, I'm the safest person in the world for you to be honest with. And your dad too, but me really. Um, <laughs> So you got that. I'm the safest person in the world for you to, and I, I just want to help you. And you say, look, everybody struggles with secret sin. Sin always wants to hide. So I know that about me. I know that about you. I want to help. Is there anything going on that I can help you with? You know, one of the things, um, let me check my time real quick. One of the things that's connected with this for a lot of young people, and this is particularly for young adults who maybe are far from God, as they've struggled with secret or public sin, a lot of people really find it impossible to believe that they can be forgiven, that they can come back to God, that God would ever receive them back again based on the things that they've done. I was at a camp, Amy and I were at a camp last week in Wisconsin, and a, a friend of mine there who I'd known for years, been, been praying for her, his prodigal daughter, that last year God brought his prodigal daughter home to the Lord and, and home to their family again. And this was a core struggle for her, just this, uh, she had had a very difficult season with drugs and all this, all this stuff, but just her belief that could God ever possibly forgive me for what I've done? And I, it reminded me of a, uh, oh, look at that. That's my uh, internet accountability tool. Okay. Um, there's a, actually a, a divine moment there. Um, talking about sexual sin. No one is holy enough for a secret online life. No one's holy enough for a secret online life. So that's my uh, Covenant Eyes software that tracks everywhere my computer goes. Um, and every week, my eldest son and my pastor get an email with all the websites I went to. So I can go where I want to go, right? I can click Bikini Girl or something like that, and my pastor and my son are going to find out. I ain't clicking Bikini Girl. Do you understand? It's not happening. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me that this story from this, um, this, this prodigal come home and this idea of, of uh, God just can't welcome me back. I heard a great sermon from Alistair Begg a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about the thief on the cross, right? 
next to Jesus, where the thief acknowledges his, his sin. And he says to Jesus, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And um, for those of us that are older, you might remember evangelism explosion. It was a way of like sharing your faith with people. And one of the questions in evangelism explosion, you ask a person, you say, hey, uh, you know, uh, after you die, you stand at the gates of heaven. If they ask you, why should they let you, why should God let you into his perfect heaven? What would you say? It's like a, it's like a spiritual question to get things get things going, and um, so he, um, he he Alistair Begg is talking about the thief on the cross. Okay, so the thief on the cross. This the Bible doesn't say you stand at the gate and they say why should I let you in, but bear with the illustration here. So the thief is is there at the gate and they say you know why should we let you into our heaven, you know? And he says I have no idea, <laughs> I have no idea at all. Well, did you go to the baptism class at your, your church? The baptism class? I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Well, what's your doctrinal view of whatever doctrinal view? And, and it, the way Way Alistair tells it, he says, what the thief says, he says, all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. All I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. And friends, that's the message. Maybe you're here and you're in that position. Could God ever really forgive me? The answer is yes. Why? Because the man on the middle cross says you can come. And there isn't any other answer than that. It's Christ's death for you. Jesus, when he died, before he gave up his spirit, he did not say, it's almost done. What did he say? It's finished. Sometimes our kids are struggling because of a lack of spiritual nourishment. That's what we talked about this morning. Last one. Sometimes our kids are struggling because of a spirit of uh, rebellion. And I forgot to do some giveaways here. Um, we've been talking about creating some conversations and heart connections with your kids. Uh, We've got an audio series for fathers and sons to listen to together, okay, to build some of these conversations. Which dad wants the father and son together audio series? Okay, right there in the back. This card's sharp. I hurt someone last week at camp, and I don't want to do that to you. I almost, I know she's covering her face. It was so violent, the first giveaway. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, and then father and daughter together. What dad wants father and daughter together? All right, good. Sorry. I don't want to hurt you. And... um. And then one more, we have a, a series of video called Generations, and this is to help your family worship time. So you can watch some Bible teaching as a family and talk about it. You want the Generations video series? Okay, this one's laminated. It is sharp. Please watch your eyes. Thank you. Hey, not bad. Not bad. A cut on the hand is worth it. It's a great series. Okay. Uh, all right, last one, Spirit of Rebellion. I, I got excited, um, and I forgot to give those out. Spirit of Rebellion. You know, we meet some folks in our counseling ministry. They'll say, you know, I'll tell you what my kid's problem is. He's got a rebellious attitude. He's got a rebellious spirit. We fix that rebellious attitude. Everything's going to be fine. Okay, maybe. Maybe that is the problem. But I would really encourage you, if you've got a struggling child, let's spend a whole lot of time on one, two, three, and four. Is your heart turned to your child? Is your child's heart turned to you? Is your child in bondage to secret sin and you don't even know about it? Are you giving them their meals? Let's do a lot of work in those four areas before we go quickly to, well, my kid's got a rebellious attitude. Now, if, if this is the case, there's one of two possibilities. One is you have a, a born-again, converted, saved child who is in a dark spiritual time in their life. Is it possible to be born-again, saved, regenerate, and to be in a dark spiritual time? Absolutely it is. It's possible your child's in a time like that, okay? So if that's your best judgment of what's going on, you come to them full of grace and truth. I love you, I'm committed to you, and I am concerned about you right now. 
I am burdened for you right now. I see you making some choices with your faith and with your mindset and with your heart and with your attitude that that is taking you away from a close walk with Jesus. I want to I want to help you. I'm concerned about you. I'm seeing this and I love you and I'm committed to you no matter what. That was like a grace, truth, grace sandwich. Did you get that? I love you and I'm committed to you. I'm concerned for you. I love you and I'm committed to you. And the other possibility is that your child is acting spiritually dead because they are. The Bible tells us when we come into the world, we're spiritually dead. We don't come into the world neutral. We don't come into the world good. We come into the world inherently bad and broken. Now, I think one of the worst things to say to a child, let, let's say you've got a 13, 14, 15-year-old child. They are acting spiritually dead. They're acting hard-hearted. They've been acting this way their whole lives. One of the worst things to say is, well, maybe the problem is you're just not a Christian. If you come to believe you think maybe my child's not born again, how does saying that to them help them? This is not like a response time for anger. I hope if I was ever in that situation that my heart would just break for them that, that God would give me Christ's heart, that Jesus looks out at the crowd of lost souls. He had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you a story about Lissy, and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, Lissy was seven or eight years old, and she was in a phase where she was being, uh, or a pattern where she was just being chronically uh, nasty, particularly to her younger sister, okay, to her younger siblings, but particularly her younger sister. And we are uh, disciplining her. We are discipling her. We are memorizing scripture. We are parenting. We're doing all this stuff. And finally, in one of these uh, moments where I'm trying to deal with this stuff with Lissy, she says to me, Dad, I just can't be good. Now, one of the things the Lord's helping me with is to recognize my parenting instincts and ignore them because they're almost always wrong. My instinct in that situation was to say, oh, sweetie, no, 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 honey, you are a good girl. Yes, you are a good girl. You just need to try harder to be a better girl is what you need to try to do. That's what I wanted to say, but that's not what I said. She said, Daddy, I just can't be good. Holy Spirit, help me in this moment. You know what I said to her? I said, honey, I am so glad you finally realized that. No, that's not what she was expecting, right? She expected me to say, oh, you are a good girl. So her eyes get big, right? She's like, I don't know, right? And then in, in, in a little eight-year-old way, she says, what must I do to be saved? Right, And I say, well, I've got really good news for you that God proves his love for you and that while you're still a sinner, Christ died for you. You see, this gospel message, it's bad news that we're a sinner and we're doomed and there's nothing we can do to fix ourselves. And there's good news that God proves his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And this was a moment in Lissy's life right, of a, of a significant humbling of her heart, throwing herself on the mercy of God and asking God uh, to change her heart. So let's, let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, this conversation tonight of um, parenting through spiritual struggle, it's, it's one thing to talk about it with our kids because we see it in our children. But Lord, we also have our own spiritual struggles, times that we are hard-hearted toward you or toward our family, and we are just desperately in need of uh, your Holy Spirit, to be softening our hearts toward you, softening our hearts to our kids. I want to pray for this week, <clears throat> these next few days that we have here at camp. Would you please turn each one of our hearts to our kids and grandkids in a new way? And would you please turn their hearts 
to us. That these conversations we have walking around camp uh, during our, our family worship times in our lodging in the morning, our worship times at, at large group, our bedtimes, God, that spiritual connections would be deepened and made here at camp that would carry home. And, and God, I just want to pray for all the kids and the grandkids represented by the people in this room. I want to pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in every single one of their hearts, our, our unborn great-grandchildren, every single one of their hearts. Bring them to salvation, forgiveness of their sins through Christ. And God, then use them to make a difference in the world for Christ, and then bring us all home safely heaven, safely home to heaven with you. And I just pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.